The topic for tonight is getting ready for Hanukkah with Rabbi Nachman, praying for miracles, and fighting our battles. There's a Likutim Aran is based on chapters. It's called Torahs. Torah Aleph, Torah Bet, Torah Gimel. The 25th chapter of Likutim Aran, 25th, corresponding to the 25th day of Kislev, Hanukkah is on the 25th, the 25th of the month, is a chapter that deals with a number of interesting concepts. And Rabbi Nachman's student takes that chapter, chapter 25, and uses that to introduce the holiday of Hanukkah and what Hanukkah is all about based on Rabbi Nachman's teachings. In that chapter, Rabbi Nachman stresses two, two major concepts. Number one, that we in this world have to recognize that there's good and bad. Hashem created good and bad. There are people who say that everything is good. Everything is good. There is such a concept. We're told that that concept will really exist in the future when Mashiach comes. The Gemara says that nowadays there's a famous pasuk, Bayom Hahu Hashem Echad Echad. On that day in the future, Hashem will be one and his name will be one. So the Gemara asks, and now he's not one? And the Gemara says, correct, correct. Now we, we, we see two sides of Hashem. We see what we, what, what we perceive as being a good side of Hashem. When something good happens, we make a certain blessing. We make a bracha, hatov v'hametiv. And when a tragedy occurs, somebody passes away or something like that, we make a different blessing, baruch dayin ho'emes. In the future, we're told, Bayom Ahu, in the future, it's going to be one. It's going to be all oneness. It's going to be all good. So there is a concept of good and bad in the world, and a person has to be aware of that, and a person has to know that part of our, part of our goal in life is to recognize this, to identify the bad, and in certain cases, to be able to eliminate it. There are certain cases where it's possible to take the bad and integrate it into the good, make it, convert it, make it into good. But there's certain elements of bad that need to be eliminated. We know, for example, when a, when a boy is born, when a Jewish child is born, on the eighth day, there's a bris milah. And the bris milah requires cutting away. There's two steps to a bris. There's the chituch, Chituch means cutting away the foreskin, removing a certain foreskin. And then there's the priya. The second part is folding over a part of the skin to be able to reveal the crown, as it's called. That term chituch, cutting away, and the term orla, orla is the word ra, ra la, something bad, something negative. We're being shown right there from the beginning <coughs> that that part of our mission in this world requires recognizing that there's something negative that has to be removed in order to reveal the good, in order to reveal the positive. An apikoris, a person, a non-believer, once challenged one of the rabbis and said, you say you believe in Hashem, you say you respect Hashem, this is one of the most disrespectful things in existence. Hashem created man like this, Shem created man with an orla, and you go in on the eighth day and you do a fix. You're doing a correction. You're fixing it. But isn't that disrespect to Hashem? 
And the rabbi responded, not at all, not at all. That's something that Hashem has instructed us, wants us to do. Hashem has created this world in such a way, incomplete. The world is incomplete, and he wants us to be partners in creation. He wants us to be able to complete it. Bread doesn't grow, we don't, we don't grow bread. We have wheat, and we have to go through a process of removing the chaff from the kernel. We have to go through a process of crushing it and bread in order to make bread. Everything, nothing in this world, he explained to him, potatoes. Can we eat raw potatoes? We have to cook it, we have to process it. So Hashem intentionally created everything incomplete, and He wants us to complete it. And in certain instances, the way that it, in order to complete it, you have to remove something. You have to remove the peel in order to get to the fruit. You have to remove the clip in order to get to the fruit. So this is a major part of our mission, recognizing that there is this Ra and eliminating it. That's step number one. Once a person has achieved that and they're in the framework of good, now a person needs to know that there are levels. There are levels and levels, and a person is not permitted to stay on the same level constantly. A person is supposed to grow. In Judaism, a person is supposed to grow. Hashem created the world. He could have created the world in one shot, in one day. He didn't do that. And he created the world in such a way that there's night and day. There's darkness and then light. And that's a complete cycle. Vayhi'ere, vayvoker, yom echod. That's a complete cycle. Then again, Erev and Volker, darkness and light, a second day, and so on and so forth. And Rabbi Nachman explains that each and every single one of us is expected to climb, to climb, to grow. One of his students once said that when I recite the Shema every day, if my Shema today will be the same as yesterday, I'm ready to have my head put on the guillotine to chop my head off. Because it means that I'm def- Hashem gave me an additional day of life. He expects something new from me. He doesn't want yesterday's faith. He wants a new, a brand new declaration of faith today that's not what it was yesterday. And in fact, this answer is an important question. This major declaration of faith that we say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Hear ye Jewish people, our Hashem, Hashem is one. Why do we need those two words, Shema Yisrael? Why do we say that every day? The declaration is Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. What's the Shema Yisrael? What's this announcement that we're making on a daily basis? And Rabbi Nachman's student, Rabbi Nachman explains, when does a person bang on the table and say, listen carefully, listen everybody, when they have something new to say. Picture a person banging on the table and saying, tomorrow morning the sun is going to come up, tomorrow morning there's going to be daylight. It's a joke, it's ridiculous. When there's, when there's a change, when there's something new, a person has to announce. We're used to, uh, we, our prayer every morning, our synagogue prays at 7 o'clock. On Sunday, a certain holiday, we're going to be, we're not going to be, we're going to be praying at 8 o'clock, Announcement, everybody. Tomorrow we'll be praying at 8 o'clock. A change has to be announced. When we say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Shem Echad every day, we're reminding ourselves 
that our faith in Hashem today is not what it was yesterday. It's got to be something brand new. It's got to be new. How does that? How, how how do we how do we make it new? By learning new things every day. By coming to a new level of recognition of what Hashem is all about every single day. That's what faith is all about. That's what the Shema Yisrael is all about. Now note, this declaration of faith, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, has exactly 25 letters. If you'll count the letters, Shema is three, Hashem Yud Kevavke is four, 25 letters. The Zohar HaKadosh says, the Zohar says, that Hanukkah, the holiday Hanukkah, is called Hanukkah. There are many reasons given. There was a battle. The Greek Empire at that time was pretty much in control of the world, and they were oppressing the Jewish people, and they were trying to convince the Jews to give up their faith in Hashem and accept Greek culture and accept the Greek gods. They said, we want you to write clearly that you deny the existence of the, the Jewish, the Hashem that the Jewish people believe in. And there was, there was a battle that took place. There were a small number of Jews who were not ready to give up their faith. They weren't ready to assimilate with the Greeks, the Chashmonoim as they were known, and they battled the Greeks. And it was a, a difficult battle. And they defeated the Greeks on the 25th day of Kislev. And the word Chanukah means Chanu Chafhei. They rested. They rested from this battle on the 25th, the 25th day of Kislev. That's one of the reasons why the holiday is given this name. According to Rabbi Nachman, there's another explanation. When a person, when a person doesn't have faith, when a person doesn't have faith, they're living in doubt. Could be this, could be that. Don't know how the world came into existence. Could be all kinds of different possibilities. The concept of, uh, the, the concept of a person in that sta- state is a concept of wishy-washy, going back and forth. A, a person who's in doubt, unsure of something, could be this, could be that. That when a person comes to a level of faith that they believe, they really believe in something solidly, conclusively, that's called coming to rest. We have seven days in the week. Six days of the week are called days of work. They're called weekday. Shabbos is called holiness, a holy day, Shabbos Kodesh. The six days of the week, we're told, correspond to the six basic arguments in the Oral Torah. Kosher Pasel, Tomei Tohor, Osur Mutar, those that study the Talmud are familiar that throughout the Talmud there's constant debating. These are the basic three sets of standard debates. One rabbi says this is permissible, another rabbi says it's forbidden. One rabbi says this is considered to be pure, another one says it's impure. One rabbi says this is kosher, this is, these, these are the basic which correspond to the six days of the week, which correspond to the concept of a right and a left back and forth, day in this concept. Whereas Shabbos is called Menucha. Shabbos is called the day of rest. Rest means we're not bouncing around anymore. We're coming to rest. The, the term Hanukkah, Chanu Chafhei. They came to rest 
on the 25th day of Kislev, they came to rest in their faith in Hashem. Those 25 letters of the Shema Yisrael, which represent the most basic declaration of our faith in Hashem. That was when the Jewish people completely, completely became strong in rejecting the Greek gods, the Greek culture, and, and reaffirming their faith in Hashem, their faith in the Torah, etc. Now, this, this term faith, the Hebrew word for faith is emunah. Emunah. The term faith applies only to something that you don't understand. If I understand something, I don't say, I can't say, I believe this is a glass. I'm holding this in my hand. Everyone can see clearly that this is a glass. I don't say believe. I know that this is a glass. When I say believe, faith is in something which I don't understand completely and or I can't see. If I can see something clearly, then I don't need to believe. I see it. If, if I don't see Hashem, we don't see Hashem, we cannot see Hashem, we cannot understand everything Hashem is doing. In the Kuzari, there's a famous statement, Ilu Yedativ Hayisiv. If you would understand Hashem, you would be Hashem. The fact that we are not Hashem makes it perfectly reasonable that there are things that Hashem has done or is doing that we don't understand, we can't understand. That's this concept of faith. Now, once we're dealing with something that you don't understand, you can't understand and you can't see, what's to determine whether my faith is more correct than yours? And I believe in Hashem and someone else says they believe in a tree. And a faith is something that cannot be proven, cannot be proven, can't see, can't understand, then what's to say that one faith is any better than the other one? This is why we say in our prayers and in the Torah, emes ve'emunah chok v'loyavor, that there's something that comes before faith. Faith is not, there's something that has to come before faith, which is emes, truth, honesty. In order for a person to be able to know what to believe in, and who to believe, whom to believe, whom not to believe, the person has to have a certain level of honesty, genuine honesty, genuine truth. If a person is really honest with themselves and honest about, about life, they will be able to choose correctly what to believe in and what not to believe in, who to believe and who not to believe. This is what the Torah teaches us, emes ve'emunah chok v'loyavor. We find that one of the greatest prophets, Yechezkel Hanavi, I, 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 how do you pronounce that in English? Ezekiel, I think. Ezekiel. Is, Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Okay, one of the prophets who describes a vision that he had where he saw the throne of Hashem, he saw the angels and everything related to it, an entire book of prophecy. He introduces the prophecy with the words, Niftechu Hashamayim, the heavens opened up, Vo'ere Maroi Seloikim. And I was able to see a divine revelation. And he describes what he saw there. Reb Nassim, Rabbi Nachman's student, writes We know that everything in the Torah has to have an application to us. The Torah isn't a history book, 
It's not there to tell us about things that happened thousands of years ago. Everything in the Torah has to have an application to us today. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in the Torah. Is there such a potential for us to be able to see Hashem, to see? And he says, yes. What does it require? It requires emunah. If a person shows a certain level of faith and trust in Hashem, that person will be able to see Hashem. Now, Hashem is not something physical. Hashem doesn't have a body. They'll be able to see this divine presence in, in their life and things going on. The first letters of those five words, Niftechu Hashemayim, the heavens opened up, Vo'ere Maray Selikim, and I saw divine revelation, spell the word emuna, emuna, faith. And when we put on tefillin in the morning, we say, Ve'erastichli be'emuna, v'yodates Hashem. That first, I make a connection to Hashem with faith, I show a level, a leap of faith, a leap of trust in Hashem, and then v'yodat Hashem, I get to understand, I get to see on my level this truth. But again, it has to start, it has to be coming from a place of honesty. The Torah describes the world that we are in now, it's called Olam HaSheker. That this world is upside down, it's topsy-turvy. In this world you could have many instances where someone, someone who's not really a good person appears to be very wealthy, very successful, and very famous, some of the rich and famous, and we know they're not necessarily good people by, by any reasonable standard of goodness. So how, how could that be? Because we're told this isn't really the world of truth. The future world, Olam Haba, is called Olam Ho'emes. One of the rabbis was once very, became very sick and went into a coma, a state of a coma. And he came out of it, and the rabbis asked him, what happened to you during that period of time when you were totally out? He said, my soul actually left and went up to heaven. And they said, could you describe what you saw? And he said, yes, I'll describe it in four words. Elyonim lamata, tachtonim lamala. Those who in this world, many people who in this world are regarded highly and respected, over there, they're down, they're very low. And those, many of those who in this world are not highly respected, over there they're considered very important, very significant. The Jewish people, the Jewish nation, which to many in this world are looked upon like a, a fraction, this one of the smallest minorities in the world, and the most insignificant in the world of truth, in the Olam Ho'emes, it becomes apparent that they're very significant, very important. So this is this concept of emes. We spoke. We ta- we mentioned the word emes, truth. We're here they, we talk about reality check. There's an expression today, reality check. People realizing that sometimes there's a lot of confusion, and people are, are have misunderstandings and misconceptions. And then there's a moment of saying, "Hey, let's get real. Let's get real and realize what what this is really all about." That kind of thing. That's this concept of emes which is a prerequisite to emuna, to faith. Another term for emes is light. Light. 
darkness, sheker, is ref- falseness is referred to as darkness. When it's dark outside and a person goes outside, they're walking, they see what's actually a tree, and it looks to them like a person. If a person can't see well if it's dark, you can misconstrue thinking something is something else completely. When, 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 a person says, I, when a person says, I see what you're saying, I see what you're saying means, I realize the truth, I understand properly what you're saying. So, emes is light, sheker is darkness. Hanukkah is a ho- the holiday of lights. We light candles. How many candles do we light? A total of eight candles. The first night, one candle, and we increase every single night. In the prayer that we say in the morning, in Shachris, which is the, the most significant prayer of the day, we're wearing a talus, the men are wearing talus and tefillin. In Shachris, between the Shema, between the Kriya Shema and Shmon Esrei, we recite the word emes exactly eight times. You'll count, you'll take a look in the Siddur. Emes ve'yatsevenochon, emes atahurishon, emes mimitzrayim, eight times. The Arizal reveals that these eight times that we're saying the word emes correspond to these eight candles of Hanukkah. This bringing, we're, we're bringing, we're recognizing, and the holiday of Hanukkah takes place during the darkest period of the year, when we have the longest nights. Sunset today, 20 to 5. <clears throat> Sunrise, almost 7 a.m. The day, the day is, is short, very short. The night is long. It's the longest nights of the year, when there's the, the greatest darkness in the world. That's when we're lighting these tiny little candles. These tiny little eight candles, we're turning on these eight lights of emes, these eight levels of truth, <clears throat> of which the final one, the final one of those eight emeses is emes mi mitzrayim gealtonu or mi beis avodim pedisanu. That the, 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 one of the most important truths is that we were once slaves. We were slaves, we were servants in Egypt for a period over 200 years, 210 years, and Hashem took us out of slavery and, and elevated us to the status of a Jewish nation. One of the most outstanding teachings that Rabbi Nachman taught towards the end of his life, he told his students at one point, I've given you all my lectures and I see you're not really where I want you to be at. Time to bring out the heavy artillery. We're going to start telling stories. And he told these 13 very interesting deep stories one of them is the story of the prince and the pauper. It's a famous story in, in English literature, the prince and the pauper, that gets switched somehow. Rabbi Nachman told that story, and he said that this story exists in old folklore, but there are mistakes in it, and he, he was presenting an accurate presentation of this story. And what it relates to, this concept of the prince and the pauper, is... <clears throat> that the one who seems to be the pauper is really the true prince. They got switched. A mistake was made. Somehow they got switched. And that's the story. The, one, the, the commentaries explain in that story that that story relates to each and every one of us, the Jewish people, who are, who are referred to in the Torah as Bnei Malachim. The Jews, HaKashem refers to us as royalty. Every single Jew is a member of royalty, and yet there are times where we became slaves, servants. 
and seem to be the most insignificant, the have, not having any control at all, even over our own destiny. A slave is totally being controlled by their master, whether it was in Egypt, whether it was during the Holocaust, different times where it seemed as if we were the Ben Hashifcha, <clears throat> when in reality, in reality, in the Emes, it comes out that that's not the case. During those times, it seemed as if our enemies were totally in control of us and totally on top of us. And just as in the case of Egypt, <clears throat> the Jews eventually left Egypt, and, and Egypt became a very... At, at that time, Egypt was almost destroyed completely. And today, we don't recognize Egypt as a world power anymore. So too with the Holocaust. The Nazis, Yemach Shemam, it, it seemed as if they were taking over the world, control, and it seemed as if they were almost going to succeed in obliterating the Jewish people completely. That was their mission statement. In the end, where are they? Where is the Third Reich? Where is the... Gone, completely. Just about, just about. And the Jewish people continue to thrive and grow. The, the, with the growth that we're seeing today, I remember growing up as a child, I'm, I'm not that old, as a child, 50, 60 years ago, a, a child of Holocaust survivors, I and my friends, most of us didn't know what grandparents are. And there were very few religious schools at the time and religious synagogues. At, at the time, it seemed as if everything had been just about destroyed. And just in the past 50, 60 years now, we see a rebirth. We see the Jewish people, the religious Jewish people, making a comeback, an incredible comeback of shuls, new synagogues being opened every day, yeshivas, children being born, neighborhoods, religious neighborhoods, expanding and expanding in the United States, in Israel, all over. Tremendous, tremendous growth. This concept of those who it seemed were the Ben Hashivrath, the pauper, the one who we thought was the pauper, and we end up seeing that not a pauper. In reality, this is royalty. This is the true royalty. This is the purpose of creation, was the Jewish people. Now, to get to the topic of miracles, we mentioned the praying for miracles and fighting, fighting our battles. What is a miracle? Let's think for a moment, what is a miracle? We're told that when the Jews left Egypt, the Egyptians came after them, they arrived at the Red Sea, they were standing at the Red Sea, they had the sea in front of them, they had the Egyptians in back of them coming to try to finish off the Jewish people, and they had the desert on both sides with snakes and scorpions, surrounded on all sides. And Hashem says, go, go, go where? They didn't know where to go. There was one Jew at the time, Nachshon, Nachshon ben Aminadov, the leader of the tribe of Yehuda, who said, Hashem said, go, I'm going. And he ran into the water, he ran into the sea, and he kept going. He kept going until the water got up to his nose. Now, at that point, if you keep going, we know it's, it's a point of no return. A person's going to die. And the Torah tells us at that point, he turned to Hashem and he said the famous words, Hoshieni Elikim Kibo Maim Ad Hashem, save me 
because the water is up to my life. If I go any further, I'm not going to live. And it's at that point that the miracle occurred, that the sea split, and he saw that, that Hashem was with him and Hashem was with the Jewish people. And when the sea split, it didn't split in half, as most of us might think. The Gemara and the Zohar tell us, it split, it became a 12-lane highway. So that each one of the 12 tribes had their own lane through the Red Sea to be able to go across. They went into the sea, they went, went. The Egyptians saw this and they thought they're going to come in also, they're going to follow us right behind. And right after the Jews came in, the sea closed on the Egyptians and they were drowned and the Jews, Jews made it. And this is called the miracle of the splitting of the Red Sea. In terms of Hashem, is it any more difficult for Hashem to have the water flow the way it normally flows, the sea flow the way it normally flows, or to have it split, to have the waters part? Is it any more difficult? No. No. So why is this referred to as miracle? miracle why do we say, wow, this is a miracle, this is... The answer is, the answer is that Hashem created the world in such a manner that the most important character in this world keeps such a low profile, allowing the majority of the world to deny his existence. The majority of the world does not believe in God. They don't believe in Hashem. Why? Well, what Hashem? Where? Nature. The world operates on nature, mother nature or mother-in-law nature. Mother nature thought, that's, that's, what, that's what the world operates on. Natural, the natural sciences, nature. And there are people who try, to, who try to really push that, promote that, and say religion is a crutch. Religion is fake, it's false, it's phony. The, the truth, the only truth is science, scientific fact. And again, te'ateva. On a spiritual level, what is this really all about? The Arizal says that the word Hateva, which means nature, is Elohim. It's one of the names of Hashem. Elohim, Hashem's name of judgment. Hashem's name, when, when the true face of Hashem is hidden, when the kindness of Hashem is hidden, that's called Elohim. Elohim is called judgment, justice. In, in the Torah, a judge or a court of law is called Elohim. At Elohim the Arizal says the word Hateva, nature, is Elohim. When things are following their natural course, then the world is in autopilot. Hashem allows the world to operate in such a way where it's easy for a person not to realize that there's someone at the controls. The moment Hashem takes the wheel and makes a quick turn, and changes nature, overrides nature, that's when people realize that, that, that nature is not controlling. There's a force that's above nature, and that's defining nature and controlling nature. So when things are proceeding in their natural manner, that's referred to as the hiddenness of Hashem. That's this name of Hashem Elohim. When Hashem shows Himself, when Hashem overrides nature, in order to help us, in order to save our lives, in order to do something that's going to benefit us, meaning it's a display of kindness, the kindness of Hashem, 
That's called miracle. That's a mess. One of the most outstanding prayers that we recite in the day is called Ashrei. Ashrei Yoshve Veisecha. We say it in the morning prayer. We say it again in the afternoon prayer. And the Gemara says, whoever recites this prayer of Ashrei three times a day is guaranteed a place in the future world. Because this prayer of Ashrei has something in it that no other prayer has. Number one, it has a line for every letter of the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet. You'll follow it, you'll look in your sitter. It goes along the olive base. It go, it, it, it's, we're turning on a light bulb for every single one of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Excuse me? Excellent. Excellent. We're going to come to that. Very good. There's one, le- there's, one le- there's one letter that seems to be missing. Seems to be missing. The letter Nun. And in addition to that, it has one of the most important declarations. One of the instances, one of the things that makes it most difficult for a person to believe in Hashem is Parnassah, earning a livelihood. If Hashem is controlling the world, if Hashem gives light, Hashem gives, then why do I have to go to work? Why do I have to kill myself to go to work, to find a job and to work and to make all of this effort? And that's one of the major things that causes people to deny the existence of Hashem on all kinds of different levels. If Hashem is given, I built this business, I made this, I built this house. I... So Ashrei has in it, Poseach es yodecha umaspia lechol It has one of the sentences there where we proclaim, we announce that it's not my hands, I didn't build this house. I didn't. Hashem is the one who opens his hands and provides sustenance and bounty for everyone. He provides for us our needs, what we want, what we need. That's what's so special about this paragraph. There's one, the Gemara says, but there's one letter that's missing. The letter Nun. There's no sentence for that. Why? And the Gemara says the reason is that the letter Nun has a negative connotation. The letter Nun stands for Nefila. Nefila means to fall. And that's why the letter Nun, King David left out that letter from, from this special prayer. However, however, he didn't leave it out completely. In the next, or in the next letter, the letter Samach, the sentence there is Somech Hashem, Lechol Hanoflim. Hashem lends support to all those who are falling or who have fallen. Somech Hashem Lechol Hanoflim. The word Somech means to support. The word Somech is also the letter Samach. That letter in the Hebrew alphabet, the 15th letter in the Hebrew alphabet, is Samach, which is round. It's a circle. A Samach is round, it's a circle. So the Gemara says, in that line, Somech Hashem Lechol Hanoflim, he included the Nun. The Noflim then, the Nefila is included, but the, the Samach is put in front of it. That the Samach is giving support for the Nun. The Hebrew word for miracle is Nes. A Nes is a miracle. It's a Nun, 
It's recognizing that there's a certain point, there are certain points in our lives as a nation or as an individual when we're falling or we have fallen. And when Hashem makes a decision to lift us up, to take us out of that fall, that's nace. That's an act of kindness. That requires an act of kindness. That requires, in certain instances, Hashem overriding nature. The Greeks were much more, there were much more of them, and they were much more powerful than the Jewish people during that time. There was no match. We say in the prayer, Rabin Biatmiatim. There was no match. In a natural way, there was no possibility of the Jews being able to defeat them at that time. Hashem made a nace, he made a miracle that the, the Samach overrode the Nun, the Jews who were in a fallen state at the time, Hashem lifted us up and he gave us victory over our name. That's this nace. That's the definition of this term, nace, miracle. When Hashem overrides, when instead of autopilot, Hashem shows clearly that he's taking the controls and something unnatural is taking place. Remember, nature is the hiddenness of Hashem. Unnatural is the revelation of Hashem in a form of kindness. That's the issue. So it's true, it's not any more difficult for Hashem to have the underdog win, but it requires Hashem putting aside the standard laws of nature and stepping in and saying, no, I want it to be this way. Even though it's unnatural, even though it's unbelievable, I want it to be this way. This is what the miracle of Hanukkah is about. This is what all the miracles are about. Now, is there anything that we can do to make such a thing happen, to cause a miracle to happen, to cause Hashem to step in in a situation where by natural means we would fail or we would fall, we would not succeed, and Hashem is going to step in and perform a miracle reveal himself in a manner that's going to benefit us? The answer is, Rabbi Nachman says, it's prayer, tefillah. Because tefillah is synonymous with miracles. Miracle means above nature. Miracle means something that's unnatural. When a person is praying, they're implying that they don't believe in nature. They don't believe that things have to be the way they seem to be. That there's a creator, there's somebody who created the world and is controlling the world, and, it, and every single day is something brand new. Just because I didn't have a job yesterday, just because I wasn't married yesterday, just because things seemed a certain way until now, it can change, Hashem can change it at any moment. We say in the morning, Uvetuvo mechadesh b'chol yom tomid with Hashem's goodness, He renews, he, he creates the world anew every single day. We know that we define time, we the Jewish people define time by months. We go by the lunar year, the lunar calendar. And a month is called a chodesh. Chodesh means a month. The word chodesh is the exact same letters as the word chadash, new. Why? Because the solar year, the solar calendar, the sun, we don't see major changes in the sun taking place. The moon, every single day, is changing. The first 15 days of the month, it's growing. It starts off from being very small, 
becoming larger and larger and larger until on the 15th of the month, full moon. And then from the 16th on, it's decreasing, becoming smaller, smaller, smaller until it just about disappears and comes back anew. <coughs> just like the Jewish people. Just like the Jewish people. We have ups and downs. We have times that we're rising and climbing succeed, and we have this, this darkness and light, both of these periods. And the fact, if, if we believe in Hashem, then we know that just because we're down doesn't mean that we're going to stay that way or that we have to stay. It means it can change at any moment. How? If Hashem wants. How do I get Hashem to want? By asking, by praying to Him. The Torah says, Anochi Hashem Mitzrayim. I am the Hashem who took you out of Egypt. I'm the one who made all of those miracles. What can you do to bring that about? Harchev picha va'amalehu. Open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. Pray. The more you pray, the more you avail yourself to this kindness of Hashem, to this miracle. We find throughout the Torah, in all the instances in the Torah where a miracle took place, it was preceded by prayer. We're told Elisha Hanavi, there was a prophet, Eliyahu Hanavi, who, who performed miracles. His student, Elisha, performed more miracles than him. And the Gemara says, how did he do it? How did he do it? The Gemara says, Elisha David. He did it through prayer. He did it through prayer. Because one of the best and clearest ways that we display our faith in Hashem is by talking to Hashem. We're, we're told when the Jews came out of Egypt and at that time were respected by all the nations of the world that had heard about the miracles Egypt was so well fortified, so locked up at the time that it's written for hundreds of years, no one escaped. No servant or slave ever escaped Egypt. And here the Jewish people marched out of Egypt in broad daylight, 600,000 people. The Torah tells us that nations heard about this. They were in awe. There was one nation that, wasn't, that wasn't, didn't care about this, we're going to do anything we can to undermine the glory of the Jewish people. Amalek. Amalek comes to attack the, the Jewish people at their moment of glory, their greatest moment of glory. And we're told that Moshe Rabbeinu goes up on a hill, Vayehi Yodov Emuna. He extends his hands in a display, an expression of faith to Hashem, praying to Hashem. And sure enough, once again, Hashem helps the Jewish people at that time. The Targum of those words, his hands were outstretched in prayer, in an expression of prayer. What do you mean? You pray with your mouth. You don't pray with your hands. The answer is, King David writes, that prayer is not just lip service. The mouth is a very important part of prayer. But prayer is something coming from the heart, originating in the heart. The Torah mentions that there's a service of Hashem that requires your whole heart, putting your whole heart into it. What is it? Tefillah, the Gemara says. And King David says, that when a person is really praying, it's not only the heart and the mouth, 
but the entire person, the person is concentrating, focusing all of their attention from their toes to their head, concentrating on the words that they're saying. I'm speaking to Hashem. I'm speaking to my Creator. This is something very, very serious. A close friend of mine, about 15 years ago, decided he wanted to have a photo op with the President of the United States. There is such a thing. So he, he registered for it. They told him it cost $15,000. And it'll take between three and six months for him to be checked out by the Secret Service, for them to do a complete check on the person before they're going to allow a person into a room with the President of the United States. And they're going to tell him which day and which hour exactly, which five minutes he has. He's not allowed to initiate any conversation, not allowed to ask any questions. If the president says something, you're allowed to respond. If he asks, you're not allowed to initiate any conversation. And he did this. And he had the photo up, he has the picture of him with the president of the United States. Imagine what it means that we, have, we are permitted to, and Hashem encourages us and invites us to speak to him to speak to the creator of the world, the creator of presidents and kings, and there's no, it doesn't cost $15,000, <clears> and there's no fixed time, any time you want. Har open your mouth wide and talk, talk, express yourself, open your heart. He's listening. Now, a hundred years ago, you told this to a religious Jew, and they said, but, but one minute, I can't even talk to someone down the block. I'm here right now. Unless I yell at the top of my lungs, somebody down the block isn't going to hear what I'm saying. How in the world, how in the world can Hashem hear what I'm saying? Hashem is somewhere up there. See here, one of my rabbis was in the bank. This is going back uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. He was online in a bank, and he sees somebody in front of him, one or two people in front of him, standing there and talking talking to the air. And he sort of shrugged, saying, another one, another nut. Talking, a person standing, and he's watching the person, and he doesn't look nuts, he doesn't look crazy. And he got curious, and he's wondering, who's he talking to? He's not nut. So he mentioned to the person next to him, "Who, who is that person talking to? And he said he could be talking to somebody in the United States, in Australia, and he's got a Bluetooth, he's got... <laughs> and he's, he's not holding a phone, nothing, no wire, no nothing. He's just speaking, not raising his voice at all. And he could be speaking to someone anywhere in the world, right? Once upon a time, it was hard to believe this kind of thing. Today, it's no more an issue of faith. We see these things. We see that it's possible without raising your voice at all that to, to be holding a piece of plastic or not even holding a piece of plastic and talking to anyone across the world, and not just to one person. Here again, there are people in, in, in olden days, you told them that Mashiach is going to come. There's going to come a Mashiach, and he's going to declare it. He's going to tell the whole world that there's a Hashem who created the world. Really, really. <laughs> he's going to stand on Broadway, and he's going to make an announcement to the whole, he's going to talk to the whole world. Ha, 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 ha. Today we know it's not ha, ha, ha. Today we know that we have, we have television, we have, you can broadcast, you can have a Super Bowl or a, an event, 
that several billion people can be watching and hearing at the same time, no problem. This technology, these things, these things that Hashem has revealed to us, are all to give us, to strengthen our faith in Hashem and to make us realize the truth, the real MS. The real MS being that there is a Hashem, that the world wasn't created by two rocks colliding somewhere in midair billions of years ago, and that evolved into dinosaurs, and that evolved into apes, and that resulted in, in us today. We're here today from that. That there's a creator who created this world and is operating those, running the world. The fact that we don't see him, the re- there's a reason for that. It's not because he can't show himself more clearly, because one of the most important purposes of the creation of the world is man, man who has free choice. Everything else that Hashem created gives honor to Hashem. The flowers, the trees, the animals, the rivers and the lake are all a display of Hashem's greatness, Hashem's glory, but they cannot do what we can do. They don't have free choice. They don't have a choice to accept Hashem's authority or reject Hashem's authority. That's only us, only a human being is in that position. And therefore, we as human beings, when we choose to, to accept Hashem's authority, to accept the Torah, to accept the mitzvahs, even though we don't see, we don't see everything clearly, and Hashem at certain times appears to be very hidden from us, to the degree that we succeed in, 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 in discovering, revealing this truth, the most important truth, and using that to strengthen our faith in the things that we can't see and can't understand fully, to that degree, we fulfill our, our mission and creation. To that degree, we're able to, <clears throat> to, to pray, to pray properly, and to be able to get Hashem to do what we, what we need Him to do in certain cases, which is to override nature, to reveal Himself, to put an end to the sicknesses, the suffering, the struggles that people are going through, and to, to take us to the finish line. We're told that just like when Hashem created the world, first there was darkness, and then there was light. We're told that the existence in the world is going to be the same thing, that we are going to be in a state of darkness, sickness, suffering, difficulty, compared to the, the end, which is going to be a very a revelation of light, a revelation of life, without sickness, without suffering. We hope and pray we're going, we're going to be going into this new month of Kislev when we're going to be celebrating this holiday, these eight candles, these eight levels of emes that we mentioned earlier. When the Jews showed a tremendous display of faith in Hashem, we rested on the 25th. We got to the fulfillment of those 25 letters of the Shema Yisrael. We should be zeichah through this faith in Hashem, through our prayers, and especially when there'll be unity among the Jewish people to get to see the coming of Moshiach, the building of the third and final Beis Hamikdash, B'mhera B'yameinu, Amen V'yameinu. Any questions? Any questions? Please. Why, why were there 12 leaves for each tribe? Why not just one? Because it's well, one um. Why were, there, why were there 12 lanes in, when Hashem split the Red Sea? Why not one? Doesn't Hashem want us to be one nation? The answer is, 
Hashem wants us to be united. Hashem wants us to be one, despite the fact that we are diverse, we're different. <clears throat> a bouquet of flowers, a beautiful bouquet of flowers, 50 roses, 100 roses, 100 red roses, is beautiful, it's nice, but it cannot be compared to red, white, and pink roses, and then another type of, another type of flower, these, this variety of flowers that are all different from each other, being put together to form a gorgeous bouquet, an orchestra, 10 drummers, 10 guitarists, versus a guitar, a clarinet, a drum, a bass guitar, the, certain things which seem to have no purpose at all. You hear a bass guitar being played by itself, you think this is the last thing you'd want to include in an orchestra, and yet put it together properly? Wow, wow. You need each one of those instruments. That's the Jewish nation. Hashem created us intentionally 12 different tribes. We're told that the tribe of Yisachar, one of the tribes, were the most learned ones. They were the judges. They were the ones who were supposed to dedicate themselves totally to the study of Torah. Zvulun, the tribe of Zvulun, were outstanding in business, in conducting business. They were the ones who went out to work and they supported the Yisachars. And it was the com combination of these two. We know that there are three branches in Judaism. There's Kohen, Levi, and Yisrael. The Hebrew word for vessel, a kli, a vessel that can contain, that can hold blessing, a keli, is Kohen, Levi, Yisrael. Hashem wants, Hashem wants us to be unique, and even though we were unique, we can agree. We can agree to disagree. We can agree to be different. This, these people look different as night and day. One person is wearing a black suit and a black hat, and he's sitting in a kolel learning all day. And another person is out there in his dungaree. He's digging. He's doing construction work or plumbing, work, any kind of work that he's doing. They're, they appear to be different as night and day, and they believe in one Hashem. And they know that neither one is more important than the other one. The Torah says, Smach zvulun boalecha. Rejoice zvulun when you go out. Out of where? When you go out of the synagogue, you go out of the yeshiva to go to work, to do business and things like that. When? When yisachar boalecha. When he's doing his job and you're doing your job. This is one of the greatest things that we struggle with. This is one of the greatest lies in the world. That if this is what I'm doing, if you're not doing the same thing as me, you must be wrong. Either you're wrong or you're not as good as me. And, and that's one of the major forms of Sheker in the world. That Hashem created each and every one of us unique and different. And we're supposed to be unique. We're supposed to have that individuality. And despite that individuality, we can be united. We can help each other. We can believe in one Hashem, in one Torah. Anyone else? Please. Um, it, we obviously understand that like tefillah and dami is very important. And this might be like personal, but I feel like everybody can relate to it, where there's just, the days are filled with so much of like important things that you have to do with taking care of children and going to work. And there's not always time necessarily to... Know, to pray. To, yeah. Like, what do, you, what do we do? Very good question that, that all of us encounter. 
there's a famous statement in the Gemara, Ein HaKodesh Baruch Hu Ba Betrunya in Briosav. Hashem does not want us to fail. He wants us to succeed. He doesn't give us an impossible situation, something that we can't do or can't handle. It's true that it seems, it seems impossible sometimes to be able to do everything we need to do. That's part of our test. That's part of our test that it should appear that way. But if a person really wants something, the same Gemara says, Ein davar There is nothing that stands in the way of willpower. When a person wants something, a child wants something. A child wants a bicycle, a child wants... The parent says no. Any serious child knows no doesn't mean no. No means I haven't asked enough times. I haven't pushed hard enough. If I push hard enough, no will become a yes. There's, there's, there's no que- there are many people today, many people today we see that go to shul three times a day. They go to shul in the morning and in the evening. And there are many people today, many people, who take out some time of their day, 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day, for personal, private conversation with Hashem. Because the standard prayers that we have, Shachris, Mincha, Mayrev, were standardized because of the fact that the rabbis saw people weren't strong enough in real prayer. Real prayer is when you're praying in your own language, in your own words, relating to what's going on in your life right now. That's the most important prayer. The Rambam writes this. It, it, takes, it takes effort. It takes faith. You have to believe in your, You have to believe can. That can't word. A person has to be able to, to battle that and push, and you'll see. There are 24 hours in a day. 24 hours in a day. Any one of us who, who sits down and, and tries to do an accounting, a real accounting, how much of those 24 hours am I really using properly and using to the fullest? We'll be able to squeeze, we'll be able to find the 15 minute, you know, the time that we need. It takes effort, it takes, it can be done, it's being done. It's being done. There are people doing, many people doing it. I have a question. Please. Um, can you do it bolidot after Kriyachma Abamita? Like after you said that? The, the answer is yes. Generally, the, the, the question here is that we're told, according to Hebrew law, that when a person goes to sleep at night, after you recite the Shema, after you recite the Shema, and if you make the blessing, there's a blessing there, Hamapil Shena Me'ena, the person should not talk. The person should not engage in conversation. Go to sleep. But in terms of speaking to Hashem, if a person doesn't fall asleep immediately, to speak to Hashem is definitely okay. Definitely okay. Please. Uh, in Hanukkah, is there other, any other miracles besides the candle? being lit for eight days. Yes. The, I, maybe I didn't make it clear enough. There were two miracles that took place at the time. One miracle was the success in battle of the Jews over the Greeks. That was a miracle. You know, it was un- completely unnatural. The Jews were a tiny minority who didn't have anywhere near the weapons and the strength of the Greeks. And this small, small little unit defeated some, a group much larger. That was the first miracle. And the second miracle was 
the fact that they, they, they wanted to light the lamp in the Beis HaMikdash, and they had a small amount of oil that couldn't even burn for one day. And they lit it, and it continued to burn for eight days straight until they were able to get more oil, oil that was pure, to be able to, to light the menorah with. You mentioned something that I forgot to include something very important. Those two miracles that we celebrate on Hanukkah, going back to what we started the, 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 the shir with, express the two things that each and every one of us needs to do with our lives. Number one, to do battle against evil. In those days, the Greeks were evil. The Greeks denied the existence of Hashem. The Greeks wanted to, wanted to believe in Greek culture and their idols. And miracle number one was elimination of the, the evil. Miracle number two was this concept of growth, going from day, going to a new level every day. The first day, lighting one candle, the second day, two candles, the third, showing that we're not staying on the same level two days in a row. We're increasing the light every day. We're growing, we're increasing our knowledge. We're trying to come closer to Hashem every single day. Those are the two miracles of Hanukkah. So you mentioned earlier, I just want to comment on the fact, but you mentioned earlier that most people fall in their emunah when it comes to aspects of Pagnasa. And, and um, so first off, I want to ask you, like, how do you define Pagnasa as like livelihood? Is it, is it like directly connected to mamon, to like money? Is that how Pagnasa is defined? Both. It's both. The I term Pagnasa means earning a livelihood. And sometimes the word parnasa means, ha- do you have parnasa means, do you have money? Right, so you have money. Yes. So when it comes to having a potential lack of money, that's when people fall in their emunah. That's when... That's or, like, or when a person has a lot of money. The Torah says in one place, right. you're going to be successful, you're going to build homes, you're going to have cattle, you're going to have all kinds of wealth. And you're going to say, you're going to deny, you're going to forget Hashem, and you're going to say, I built this business, I built this home, my family. Okay. And it says, don't say that, because Hashem is the one who, who really gave you everything you have. So it's not, it's not, um, is it, is it having or not having money? Is that like the, 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 um, the, the dangerous area? Because... You know, a person, you know, I think, like, people that, that are striving to be good and disconnect from, from any kind of, like, you know, gava and, and, and chase for the mamon and, you know, for the wrong, for the wrong reasons, they're, 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 you know, it could be driven by a kavod that's not based on, on the accumulation of money. So it could be their avodat Hashem, because, you know, I heard, you know, recently that's like, you know, if, if we're connecting for, like, mehed, like, the work that we're doing, for for to do like a kedusha Hashem to do chesed, then you know it's like kedusha work. It's like avodah Hashem. So it's like, you know, if I wake up every day with like that mindset, I guess, then I'm saying I think there's an even more dangerous level um, to falling in 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 your in your emunah that's not necessarily like built around mamon. You built around chasu shalom, the aspect of like striving for a level of kedusha that's like not to admit the gamita. You know, so like that's like a, that's like even scarier point for me. You know, so it's like, what? You know, maybe I'm, I would like to ask the right question, but maybe you can hear what I. It's another way of saying that kavod. The term kavod, 
people striving for honor, respect, glory, right. personal self-glorification. Mm-hmm. Those two go together. We say, V'ha'osher v'ha'kavod milfanecha. Those are two areas, two major areas that blind a person, that could blind a person in this world. There are people who, when they achieve wealth or when they achieve honor, respect, they forget that there's someone above them. There's a pasukki hashochad yaaver chachamim. That shochad, shochad means bribery, blinds the eyes of intelligent people, people who are really smart and they're blinded by money or blinded by kavod, honor, respect. One of, one of the examples, people get involved in government. The, the Torah warns, be careful. Have you here in Barashud? Be careful about getting involved in government. We see people, unfortunately, who before getting involved in government, they appear to be doing all kinds of good things. And when they become members of government, suddenly something changes completely. And, and they're making decisions, you know, doing things that, that go against, that are not benefiting the people, harming the people. And you wonder, like, how could this be? What, what's going and, and unfortunately, sometimes it's this combination or one of these two things, either money or kavod. When a person is interested in personal kavod, that that could blind the person. So... You're saying like a practical way to, to, to strengthen one like for oneself is just to increase their munab by, by their tefillah. Correct. Right. Correct. Because prayer is a form of submission. Prayer is a form of saying, not I am not God. I, I'm not the creator. I'm submitting to a higher, to, to a higher being. I'm saying that there's a Hashem. I'm, I'm turning to Hashem for help. And I'm, I'm thanking, I'm acknowledging that whatever, before you can ask Hashem for anything, you want to first thank Hashem for what you have already. So I'm acknowledging that any good that I do have, any blessing that I do have, it's not me, it's not I, it's coming, I acknowledge that there's a Hashem who created the world, who has given me my eyes, my ears, my home, you know, every, anything good that I have in my life. When one of your children expresses their gratitude to their father for giving them all that they have in their lives. Do you answer to those children? It was HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Definitely. It was not your father? Question. When a child says, thank you, uh, we're told, we just read recently about Avraham Avinu. Mm -hmm. Avraham Avinu was wealthy. He had a a, a large home and he, he, he opened it like the Robelbergs opened their home. Mm-hmm. People can come. He had entrances. People welcome. And he would prepare a beautiful meal, beautiful refreshments for people, and they would eat and partake. And afterwards, they would say, thank you, thank you. And he would say, why are you thanking me? You think I created this melon, this fruit? That I, I didn't create this. There's a higher being. that He used that as an opportunity to enlighten them, to make them realize that there's Hashem, Hashem, that was the purpose. One of the ways that children will respect parents is if parents are honest Mm -hmm. and parents tell them the truth and parents tell the children, teach the children that there's a Hashem, that there are three parties that went into bringing you into the world. Daddy, Mommy, and Hashem. The Gemara says the father provides the bone structure, the mother provides the flesh, 
And Hashem puts the battery in, the soul, the neshama comes from Hashem. Definitely, definitely. Uh, you were talking about how, like I asked you before about the 12 tribes, and you said, or what beautiful bouquet, and Hashem wants to see us as a beautiful bouquet, not just roses and this, this type of flower, that's a flower. Um, there are Jews, there shouldn't be, but there are Jews who are considered ashamed. I mean, I don't, I don't determine who that is, Hashem is, but there are Jews who are considered ashamed. And how do you, um, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that when you're supposed to be unified? Ketoret, exactly, exactly. That's one of the, one of the forms of response. We talk about prayer in a quorum, tefillah betzibur. The Gemara says when a person prays by themselves. There's a chance of their prayer being accepted. There's a pr- chance of prayer being rejected. When a person prays tefillah b'tzibur, tefillah with a public quorum, there's a guarantee that that kind of prayer is going to be accepted. The word tzibur is tzadikim, benonim, urishaim. The Gemara says that a tefillah that does not include rishaim is is sure very is incomplete incomplete. It's lacking an important ingredient. One of the holiest sacrifices in the Beit HaMikdash was the Ketoret. It had ten sweet-smelling spices and one that had a bad odor to it. And when it was put together, the entire thing gave forth a beautiful aroma. Now, there are exceptions to every rule. There are exceptions, but they're very rare. The case of, of, of Korach, for example, Moshe Rabbeinu prayed for Hashem to do something that the earth should open up. The whole Jewish nation should see that this person is undermining the whole future of the entire Jewish people. But they're very rare. On, on the holiest day of the year, on Yom Kippur, we know Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are the holiest holidays of the year, when many Jews who don't come to shul all year round, they come for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. That's the, the largest assemblage. On, on the night of Yom Kippur, we have the prayer, everybody knows, Kol Nidre. Kol Nidre, the special prayer that starts off the Yom Kippur. Before we say Kol Nidre, there's two, three lines there where we say, Aldas HaMokom, Valdas HaKol, that we're making a declaration that with the agreement of Hashem and with the agreement of all of us that are here, Onumatirem Lehispalel Im HaAvaryanim. We're inviting criminals, all the criminals, to come and join us and repent and be part of this whole, be part of the community. So in general, usually, there's a story, one of the great rabbis, Rabbi Meir, the Gemara says he lived in a neighborhood where there were people who were giving him tremendous problems, birioni, very rough people. And at one time, at one point, his wife saw him praying very intensely. His wife is a famous woman, Bruria, famous woman who's mentioned the Gemara several times. And she said to him, you're probably praying about this problem, about these people who are torturing you and making all kinds of problems, and you're probably praying for Hashem to eliminate them. And you're basing it on a Pasuk, Yitamu Chatoim and Haaretz. May all sins be erased. But she said, look what it says. It doesn't say Yitamu Chotim. It doesn't say the sinners should be erased. It says the sins should be erased. What they're doing wrong should be eliminated. 
And, and then, Urishayim Odeinam, they will no longer be Rishayim. They'll be good people. Why don't you pray for that? And the Gemara says, he heard her, he prayed for them, and they were Choseh B'Tshuva. This is in the Gemara. The, I'm sorry? En Shumiyosh. exactly. And that this is what Hashem wants from us. Hashem wants us, we shouldn't want to see Jews destroyed. We should want to see them return, you know that they should see the truth, that kind of thing. I have a quick one. Please. What's a good uh, book to, if I wanted to learn more about Rabbi Nachman? There's many, many good books. One of the good books to start with, yeah. there's a book, Crossing the Narrow Bridge, uh-huh. that's very, very good. Okay. There's another book, The Essential Rabbi Nachman. Mm-hmm. And a third one is Rabbi Nachman's Wisdom. All three of those are very good. They're all a little bit different from each other. All of them have tremendous, all of them are very good place to start. Before I forget, we have a website that has several thousand lectures like this from my rabbi, Rabbi Rosenfeld, the one who taught me originally in Breslau, and lectures that I've given. I have cards here that I'll put on the table if anyone wants that have the website, and also my email address, if anyone should want to be in touch, feel free to be in touch.